God, before us, God, beside us, God, behind us, God, above us, be also now between us, a bridge through which your truth may move. In the name of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Be seated. I'm in with the in crowd. They, they, they thought that was funny at 8 o'clock, too. I guess I'm not. You? I go where the in crowd goes. I'm in with the in crowd, and I know what the in crowd knows song written by Billy Page, originally performed by Dobie Gray. It is one of those songs that even, I think it probably came out before I was born, but it's, oh, no hissing back there in the choir. (laughs) What is that? I I don't like being hissed. It's not good. Not good energy here. So I'm being hissed by the choir. I didn't have to add that in there. True. That's true, but... Anyway, but you hear it all the time, don't you? I mean, you kind of get it in movies, and, and it's been remade a number of times, and it's just you, just, you know the tune. And I have been thinking a lot about this song as I have been um, the witness to the last two weeks of school starting in my house. And I have two middle schoolers who have started school. So, of course, that song is playing a loop in my mind. Now, the kids tend to go to their mothers more and, and tell her things than they do me, but I do get to eavesdrop on what's going on. And so I'm hearing all these things on, well, you know, I'm not really sure where to sit at lunch, and the theater kids are over here, and then the athletes are over here, and the, this is over there, and all of the things that go into the anxiety of a lunchroom um, in middle school, I suppose. And things don't change. You know, that was the same way it was however many years ago it was that I was in middle school, and I'm sure it was the same when you were in middle school. And frankly, I don't know that it really changes a whole lot when it's, you know, the lunchroom at a workshop in Chicago. You know, it's, it, they tend to be the same things that are playing out in our minds. And what I have found, and, and maybe this is my own psychosis, but I don't think so is that I have never really felt like I was in the in crowd. Even when, from what the world might see, is you're the quintessential insider. And I don't think I'm alone in that. Have you ever really felt like you were 100% on the inside? Or was there still that little doubt that, well, some, somebody's doing something more important than I am right now? You know, I'm, you know it's... You know, that middle school feeling on a Saturday when you feel like all your friends are out doing all these glamorous things and you're sitting at home with your parents. I got that one last Saturday, right? Um, but I, don't, I think you're the same way, and I think I'm the same way, and it comes from this desire to want to matter, to want to feel like what we are doing is worthy and what we are doing in some way or another is important And that people see us, frankly, that we're seen as something that that merits attention. 
that, that merits someone's favor and someone's love at the end of the day. And so, whether we're the ones being ignored or whether we're the ones doing the ignoring, and don't fool yourself, you've been on both sides of that equation at one point or another. So whether we're the ones being ignored or the ones doing the active ignoring of another, Jesus in today's gospel, and this is just one of the great gospels of this year, in my opinion, makes it very clear that every life, and please hear this, there is not a qualification to this, right? It's not those who are, live in the South or those who live in this part of the world or that part of the world or who do this or do that. Jesus makes it very clear that every single life matters. That every soul should be made to feel important because it is. So where, where are we? in today's gospel. I mean, Jesus and his ministry, it's filled with stories of his witness to those that the world has forgotten. He reaches out and he brings the lost into community, and today is no different. They are at the synagogue. They are um, worshiping, right? And it's on the Sabbath. And so we all know a little something about the Sabbath, don't we? Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. We know that from the Ten Commandments. But there were a whole litany of things that you could and could not do on the Sabbath. And mostly you couldn't do any kind of work on the Sabbath. You certainly couldn't heal on the Sabbath. And there continue to be important things that you can't do on the Sabbath. If you've ever been to uh, in New York City, I think it's Beth Israel Hospital, but they have an elevator that on the Sabbath stops at every floor. So if you um, have a, a, a relative who is sick in the hospital well, you better bring a snack because you're going to be on the elevator for a little bit of time because you can't push the button if you're um, an Orthodox Jew because pushing the button would be doing labor on the Sabbath. So you have to just get on and ride every floor. And so there were the, the whole host of things that you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. They took it very seriously. And you, know, you couldn't even, like if your child had a stone in their hand, you could not pick up your child because picking up your child and a stone would be doing carrying a labor on the Sabbath. And so you can imagine, it's just filled with anxiety. Am I doing this right? Am I not doing this right? And so you have a woman who comes in who is basically um, handicapped. She's crippled. And it says, they say that she was curved in on herself in certain readings. So she was curved in on herself. And if you know anything about um, worship in the ancient world, you had to be without blemish. You know, if you made a sacrifice, it was a lamb without blemish. If something had any kind of defilement or blemish on it at all, it was not worthy for, for God. And so there was this idea that if in some way you were handicapped or you had some kind of ailment, well, then you brought it on yourself in some way, so you weren't clean. So this woman, by the very nature of her being, was seen by the community as unclean. And on top of that, don't hiss me again, choir, please, she was a woman. And in the ancient world, as opposed to what we, where we live today, they viewed women as chattel, basically. I mean, a woman, certainly. I mean, not only is she... Does she have ailments, but, but it's, she's a woman. You're not going to heal her. 
And yet what does Jesus do? Jesus comes along. She doesn't even seek out healing. Jesus seeks her out. And he speaks to her. He reaches out his hand and he touches her and he heals her. And she is now able to come back into community. She has life, life again. And I love this, the leaders of the synagogue who recognize that something very powerful is going on. They don't say it to Jesus, they say it to the congregation and to the woman who wasn't even looking for healing to begin with. He says, look, there are six days that you can be healed. Don't come on the Sabbath. This isn't right. And I could just picture Jesus standing there going, hey, you know, I'm right here. You've got something to say, say it to my face. And this woman began praising God and acknowledging the mercy shown to her. Jesus always seeks us first, doesn't he? I mean, this whole idea that if you have enough faith, you'll be healed. Jesus comes to you regardless. We're all caved in on ourselves. Every single one of us. At one time or another, and even if you're on top of the world, there's that little part of you that's caved in on yourself. And the good news today is like Jesus came to her. He comes to each and every one of us in our ailment, in our frailty, in our human condition, in our feeling on the outskirts of whatever it is, to that place that needs healing, and he touches us, and he brings us into community. He says, you are important, and you are loved. And that is the good news today. Is Jesus frees us from those chains, and he says, you matter. Even when you think you don't, even when you're trying to pretend to the world that you got it all together and that everything is hunky-dory and that you're the most competent person on the block, even in those moments where you know better, Jesus says, I see you and I love you. But there's more to it than that. You see, we live in a world today where it is easy not to see. Where it is easy not to see people as people. Where we can group large swaths of humanity together and then almost make them a caricature. Something less than. Or if we somehow group them all together, then maybe we don't have to really see them as human. Maybe we don't have to see them as a child of God, as a life that's deserving of importance. And I'll let you fill in the blanks on this one because we all do it. I do it. I don't like when I do it, but I still do it at times. Just open up the newspaper, turn on the television. It's not just here. It's out there too. Years ago, there was one of my favorite people of all time in the entire world was a woman by the name of Dodgy Schaffer. And Dodgy was kind of a, she was a grand dame of Montgomery, Alabama. She just, she knew everything. She was a renaissance woman in every, 
expression of that word. She knew the history of every house and every person in the entire river region. She knew it all. She knew about architecture and art and flowers and everything. And so one day, I get a call from Dodgy. She says, do you have any time? I said, well, Dodgy, for you, I always have time, right? I said, all right, I'm coming by the church in 10 minutes. Be ready. Bring your cassock and surplus and a prayer book. I thought, oh, my goodness. Should I bring a dollar to make a phone call to when you leave me on the side of the road? So all these things she's, she's, she's asking me to do. She pulls up. So I get in her car, load all my stuff in. She says, we're going on a journey. I said, okay, well, let's go. And so we head downtown to the old cemetery in downtown Montgomery. And then we pull into the cemetery and we drive by, you know, Hank Williams' grave and all the wonderful, famous people that are buried there from all of time. And then we head to the back. We kind of go down this hill and to the back by the railroad tracks along the back side of the cemetery. And um, there are no graves back there. It's just um, wooden stakes. Some of them have crosses, but most of them are just stakes. They have numbers on them. And so I see at the back of this, this almost little valley at the back of the cemetery that there are three men that are standing around a pickup truck and a big hole in the ground. And so we pull up right next to them, and Dodgy gets out and calls them by name and says hello. And so we're standing out there for a second, and then I see a hearse pulling up. And Dodgy explains to me that this is the pauper's cemetery. And it's the place where they bring people that are not claimed who die. So if you're in Montgomery, Alabama, and you die, or you can't afford a proper burial, or they don't know who you are, and they can't find your family, you're probably going to end up in one of those graves with a stake in the ground and a number. And so Dodgy decided years ago that she wasn't going to let that happen, that every life mattered to her because of a man that she had met and they had taken in and almost adopted him as an adult. He had HIV at some point in, in time where that, you know, you just didn't even talk to people with HIV, right? Particularly in the deep south. And so they adopted him, they brought him in, and um, he didn't have a family that really would claim him. And so from that point on, she said, um, no one's going to die alone, or nobody's going to die unwitnessed if I can help it. And so it was her ministry to go and say a prayer over every grave in that pauper cemetery, everyone that she could. And so she recruited me into her plan. And so I got vested, and we said the service over this grave, and I thought to myself, the world's never going to hear about her summer times as a kid running in the fields or, or her father grabbing her in his arms with a skinned knee. Never going to hear about her dreams and her hopes, what made her proud, what made her frightened. Today she rests in peace beneath Alabama's red clay. But we were there to say goodbye and a witness to her life. 
We are called to seek out those forgotten by the world. It is what Jesus did. It is what Jesus calls every one of us to do. Even when it is the thing that puts us outside of the in crowd. Even when it makes us uncomfortable. Even when it makes others angry with us. It is our call as children of God. It is as clear as day in Holy Scripture. There is no argument about it. It is there. And if we claim to be children of a living, loving God, then we must go out and do likewise. Because once we have experienced it, once we have experienced grace, once God has come to us in our caved-in status on ourselves, we can begrudge no one of that same thing. And they may be around the world. They may be in the next town or next door or down the hall. And dare I say it, as controversial as this will be, and this is not a comment on immigration policy, but they just might be along the borders, children of God. This is a Paschal candle. And I brought it out. We don't normally have it out here, right? Um, But I brought it out today. The Paschal candle is the first light of Easter morning. It is the light that says death has been conquered. Darkness has been vanquished by the light of the risen Christ. He lives so that we may live as if death were no more. We need not fear anything and we may know that God is always reaching out. From the beginning of time to our end on this earth is reaching out to us to touch us with his mercy and his grace. And so I light it today. I light it today as the light of Christ for all of those who are forgotten. I light it to remind myself and to remind all of us that the light of Christ shines in the world, but it doesn't just shine in the world. It shines through you, and it shines through me in what we do and in what we see in this world, what we witness So let's take notice of God's children. Let's look into their eyes. Let us remember their faces. Let us talk. Let us listen. And let us remember the woman at the grave who others forgot. You know, I don't know how she died. I don't know how she lived. But I wish I did. But this day, God will give me and give you another chance. Another chance to do just that with someone that the world has forgotten. A chance to remind them that God never will. I did find out her name, by the way, and I speak it today to honor her memory and the memory of all of those who are forgotten. It's Renee. Amen. Amen.